I was ready for the sacrifice, but I was surprised by the suffering. I want to talk about that a little bit today. We're in this, this rhythm of uh, uh, commitment and community. And uh, I think what makes something a commitment is you're willing to be uncomfortable for it or sacrifice for it or even suffer for it. And that's what defines what commitment is. Um, I want to uh, just echo what Jesse said and thank you, church, for being online. This one. Thank you for being here. I'm glad that you guys are so faithful to connect every week online and chat. And, and, and I want to, uh, if, you're, if you're watching, I want to encourage you to log in and, or just create a username or something just to let everyone know you're there. Typically, we have about half of the people that are logged in or, 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 or that are watching are actually logged in. I look at the usage reports and um, sometimes it's less than that. But I just want to encourage you to connect with each other online, make an effort to connect uh, at the same time. And uh, it just comes from our conviction that we believe that a church is a group of people committed to growing in faith together. And uh, that commitment is what it takes from you. So we're going to talk about that today. What does it take, or what, is, what does it mean to make a commitment in community? I was ready for the sacrifice, surprised by the suffering. When our family answered the call to move to Oregon to help start Dallas Church 14 years ago, it was, um, it was a deep commitment, and we were willing to sacrifice. And it meant a change, I mean, lots of changes. We sacrificed a lot from, you know, leaving our family, our, our hometown, where our community was, leaving our church that we loved, that we had helped start that church too, and um, changing, moving to a different town with different everything. One of the biggest sacrifices is moving to Dallas, Oregon when we moved there, is they didn't even have a Starbucks. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, they didn't have high-speed data on your phone. So, yeah, it was weird. It's like we went back in time. But um, the, the, some of the sacrifices were, were right there, and we were eager to make them, and we understood them. We changed socioeconomic classes, that, which also meant that our future changed, our plans, our retirement strategy, our... Our, our plans for our kids' college, and, and all of that changed when we moved to Oregon. And, and in a way, the sacrifice part was easy because it was, it was the things that we had held on to, and we had realized that those things were things that were, that were of the kingdom of the world, and we had committed to the kingdom of God. Um, but the suffering part was living without those things. So it's a little different, right? The sacrifice is being willing to give them up. And I used to say it like this, like, I gave it all up for God. I was just surprised when he took it. <laughs> right? So there's the sacrifice and there's the suffering. And, and there's an overall theme in the New Testament that every book of the New Testament has this as, a, as, as an underlying theme, and it weaves through the whole story. And that is the call of the believer to suffer for the sake of Jesus to suffer for the kingdom of God. Suffering is part of it. Now, I spent years in marketing in the corporate world, and I just, just first sniff test tells me that uh, suffering is not a good branding thing to lead with. Uh, you know, welcome to church. Suffer for the Lord today. Um, but it is a, what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus is suffering, and, and we suffer in a lot of ways. We suffer in, by living without, 
by sacrificing something for the sake of something greater. When we, when we give um, financially to the church or we give financially to the ministry or we help a neighbor, we bear a burden of a neighbor who's struggling, um, we help someone in the name of Jesus financially, we go without something, right? And so we, we suffer in that way. Uh, personal rejection is one that it's going to come up. It comes up all throughout Scripture. The reality that when you follow Jesus, people will reject you. That is part of it. And that's suffering because relationships, you lose relationships. You receive condemnation and judgment. You lose friends. You lose respect from your peers and family when you follow Jesus. This isn't 2021. This is Jesus talked about this. Paul wrote about this. This is human nature. This is what happens. Mocking, criticism, name-calling. Following Jesus includes suffering. We all have something that we sacrifice for. We all have something we sacrifice. And, and, and too often, what we end up sacrificing is our spiritual communities, our, our, our church. We sacrifice time with our church. We connection with other believers. We sacrifice that for the sake of something else, right? And what that is is two, two value systems or structures that are competing. And, and the Bible, to describe this over and over again, uses the metaphor of kingdom. The kingdoms are at war. The spiritual battles that exist, it's, it's always used in this contrast of kingdoms. And so when you're following this kingdom, it means there's a king who has a set of priorities, and whatever that king says determines what the priorities are, and those who are following in that kingdom are living in the priorities of that king. And so the priorities of the world, the kingdom of the world, is things that our flesh wants and comfort and and pleasure, and we will sacrifice a lot to avoid discomfort or to avoid pain. We, we value esteem and, and success and, uh, you know, being viewed in a positive light by our friends and our neighbors. And so you can see that, that if we have a kingdom that says everything for the sake of God and that we live for his kingdom so other people can experience his love and we value the things that his kingdom says that we value, that our hearts know to be true, that we value gathering with other Christians, we value fellowship with other believers, we value giving our time and our money so other people can feel the love of Jesus in tangible ways and they can hear the gospel described to them and presented to them in a way that can transform their lives. And when we give our life over to that, another kingdom is threatened. The kingdom of the world is threatened. And when a kingdom is threatened, it fights back. And that is the suffering that we feel when we choose this kingdom. And there's a lot of different ways that I felt this when we moved to Oregon. One of them is when I, when I, uh, was talking to my friends about this move and how we're going to go and help a church, and I'm eventually going to leave my career in IT, and I'm going to be serving the church to help, and I don't know what's next, but I know I got to go. And, and I had someone come to me, and, and after hearing a lot of um, criticism and, you know, depending on the type of friend that you have in your life, it's either sarcasm, <laughs> just direct insults from the really good friends, and and then just people questioning you and your motives and, and implying that you're stupid. And, and from their worldview, from their kingdom, it is stupid to do what we did. It is. And, I, and, and one person came to me, and, and in, in his worldview, in his kingdom, he said, Mike, how much money you make, you could fund three churches a year. And, and I felt in the moment what Jesus 
said to Peter when he said, get thee behind me, Satan, because that was a temptation. To ignore this calling because there was another way that I could use the kingdom of the world, which is about efficiency, right? And uh, it kind of tickled my ears, but I would have been betraying this unction that I had. And uh, little did I know, there was way more to my calling than just moving to Oregon. There was this desire to reclaim a church that had gone astray, to, to do what I can to bring the heart and soul of committed community back to church. When it gotten in so many worlds and so many realms, it's been about performance and consumerism, and it's destroyed the heart of church. Because at the heart of church is commitment. The heart of any church is commitment to one another. And there's something that all, all pastors uh, struggle with to varying degrees. The, but, but all pastors struggle with the idea of trying to build a community of people who are committed to the gospel, committed to God's kingdom. And, and having them, and, and being kind of the peacemaker that, that when this person offends that person, that they, they work it out biblically. And, and, but when people come to church, they oftentimes, some come with this expectation to be served. And, and, and when they come with the expectation to be served, uh, you hear things from them that make, you, make it really clear that, okay, we're not on the same team. Things, something's different. And, and one of the things that, that I hear, that a lot of pastors hear, um, is when someone is leaving the church or, or, or going to another church and they say something like, um, I'm just not um, being fed and uh, I'm going to go find another church. That tells me that you and I and our idea of church is completely different because my idea of church is a group of people I'm committed to. And what if, the, what if I left every time I learned something bad about someone in the church or, or someone in the church didn't show up for one of their volunteer things or someone in the church tried something new and it failed or like, and I just said, I just left. Like that would be terrible. But that's what happens when people come to church. They're consuming and they're here to consume. And, and here's something that they say that just... It, indicates that we're clearly not on the same page is when they say, oh, it's not personal. We just have a different preference. And I'm saying, like, if your commitment to your church isn't personal, you're doing it wrong. It's deeply personal, right? And that seems to be the disconnect that a lot of pastors have with their church is that a lot of pastors, and, and, and just so you know, I love pastors. I'm a fan of pastors. And given any argument, I'll usually initially side with the pastor. All right, but when I hear a pastor and they hear that, and, and it's, uh, it's, it just sounds so foreign, foreign when someone says it's not personal. Now, there are, God brings really good reasons for you to, to move on from a church, and, and I'm not saying that anyone who ever moved on from another church has made a mistake. We love, we love all believers, and I love the fact that, generally speaking, we have churches that love each other and care for each other, and and I don't know why God moves people from where to where, but when we hear it's not personal, we know we're not on the same page because it's deeply personal. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times Heather and I have just cried because someone decided to leave for some, usually a conflict with another member of the church. Sometimes it's a direct conflict with me. Um, and I thought we were going to work through it. They weren't. So what was lacking is this commitment this idea of commitment to the point of suffering. 
And uh, there's 59 times in, in the Bible where the phrase one another is used. And it's talking about what does it mean to live as a Christian. And there's all these one another's. And so that just amplifies the fact that we are not designed to live this Christian life alone. All of us have different roles to play. None of us are gifted the same. We all have different roles to play in the church. And, we, and, and as we embrace our differences, our, our maturity, our differences, our struggles, our anxieties, they rub up against each other and cause friction and tension. And so the commitment is necessary because it gets uncomfortable. Commitment is required. So the idea of commitment in a relationship in a church is that uh, you're broken, I'm broken, our brokenness is going to bother each other sometimes, and as we commit to that, iron sharpens iron. As we commit to each other to grow and bear one another's burdens. The Bible talks about bearing one another's burdens all the time, but it's oftentimes we read that as simple as uh, like in Acts 2, where it talks about how people sold their possessions to help other people pay their bills. Uh, That's part of it, but I think bearing one another's burdens is all about you're immature in some ways, and I'm immature in some ways, and I'm going to stick with you as we grow. That's bearing. That's real bearing of a burden, is that when it gets difficult, I'm not going to run away. That tells me, that reminds me of the, uh, the greatest command that Jesus gives us, is to love God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. This commitment to one another in our brokenness reminds me of to love your neighbor as yourself. Because uh, it reminds me that in counseling, there's this principle that we're taught, uh, and it's called uh, unconditional positive regard. And it's the idea that no matter what someone does or says, you, will, you are committed to view them in a positive light. And, and the connection is, I think this is at the core of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, because we do that for ourselves. We view ourselves in an un, is just unconditional positive light. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, we all have self-criticism and ants, right? Automatic negative thoughts that creep up and, and, and condemn us. But overall, we, we do. And, and let me give you an example. Sometimes when you're in a conflict or you say something that you don't, we wish you wouldn't have said or, or, and here's a nugget. Like when we act out in our brokenness, sometimes we want someone just to ignore what we said And have compassion for the fact that we're so broken right now that we said that terrible thing. Like, I want you to not be affected by what I said. And I want you to see past that, that I'm hurting. And that's a lot to ask of someone. But it is, I think, at the cry of our heart. And we do that for ourselves. When when you get into a conflict and you say something, do you say to yourself, oh, I wish they knew what I really meant. I, I wish they knew my heart. I wish they understood that the complexity of my brokenness I can't find words for, and it's coming out as this thing that is wrong, but it's really this brokenness, and I wish they understood that. What you're saying is that you're seeing yourself with unconditional positive regard, and I believe that's at the core of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, is that we are able to see them and and have empathy and understanding for where they're at and their brokenness. So, it would be a good exercise to reflect who in your life has shown you unconditional positive regard. Who in your life has stuck with you when maybe someone else would have run away? Who had compassion for you when you were broken and acting in a way that you know 
isn't who you really are, who you really want to be. That's a good reflection to do because those people, those are special people in your life. In Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at um, what, how Paul is navigating this very stark reality that he, he, in this theme of Romans, he's talking about how Jews and Gentiles are becoming one, and you have two completely different cultures contrasting, right? But they're all in, in God's kingdom. And what does that look like? And there's conflict and there's differences, right? And then he gets to verse, or chapter 12, and this is where he talks about the definition of what it means to be a believer and to follow Jesus, Let's read uh, verses 1 through, um, we're going to read 1 through 6, then skip to 9 to 10, okay? Um, so, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so, though many, we are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then there's a few verses on how you use, how each person is to use which gift in which manner. And then in verse 9, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another in brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. Ooh. Can you imagine having a community that was a heart posture where people were trying to outdo one another in showing honor to one another? Ooh. That's a cool community. And it's, it's evangelistic, right? Scripture tells us that, that the way we love one another will be a testimony to the world of who we serve. Our love and care and commitment to one another is evangelistic in nature. It tells the world whose we are. That's beautiful. I love that. But this type of love requires a commitment to one another. A commitment to bearing burdens. And I think it's the commitment that makes a community. Otherwise, we're just a gathering of people that are in the same place because we like the same thing. That's, that is um, not a community. That's people in a movie theater. <laughs> that's people at an Italian restaurant. We're all here because we like Italian food. That's not community. The commitment is because, you need a commitment because there are burdens to bear. Like, like in a marriage, why do we need a covenant in a marriage? Because there's going to, your brokenness, your immaturity, your struggles is going to be on full display and you're going to be living with someone who's going to feel them more than any other person. And the covenant says, as you are broken, I will be your spouse. As we wake up and your brokenness hurts me, I will be here. I am committing to getting to and committing to having an unconditional positive regard for you 
No matter what you do, where you grow, how you struggle, I'm here. And that commitment, that covenant, is the way Christ loves the church. Look at Ephesians 5. This is the way God loves us. He says, you are growing. And in your growth, there's going to be mistakes and sins and, and ugliness that's going to come up so you can be healed and restored. And, and the, 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 the awesome thing is the closer I get to Jesus, the more of my brokenness and sin I see. And the more I have to depend on Jesus. And then as I get closer to depending on Jesus, the more of my brokenness I see. And then I have to depend on Jesus. And that bringing myself and my own brokenness to depend wholly on Jesus brings me closer and closer and closer to him. So it's in my suffering that I see Jesus the most. So it makes my suffering sweet. It makes my suffering... uh, beautiful because it's where I depend most on Jesus and it's healing and it's restoring and and as I grow as long as we live on this earth we will be in this cycle until Jesus returns this is why we say come Jesus come let your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven we don't often lead with suffering as what it means to be a Christian. But if we don't share in the suffering, we're missing out on what it means to be Christian. Acts 2, 42 through 47 is this, I call this the honeymoon phase of a church because uh, when someone's starting a church, we ask them to look at Acts 42 through 47 47, and and just extrapolate what did the early church do? What were the values of the early church? So as I read this, I want you to think, what, what did this church look like? What did this community look like in Acts 2, 42 through 47? I'm gonna start with 41 actually. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So you have devoted to teaching, to the scripture, um, devoted to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, which is meals and communion, and prayers. And awe, verse 43, and awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor for all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So they had devotion to the teaching, breaking of the bread, bearing burdens, giving and receiving of his word, and inviting others to community daily. Inviting others was part of this. Now, that is something that is lost today. Inviting others, inviting others to the community is part of what they did. And that was uh, this heart posture that when we talked about the competing kingdoms, right? When we start to live for the kingdom of God and someone else has a different kingdom of this world, they criticize and condemn and we suffer loss of relationships and friendships. How's the Christian to respond to that when we are pursuing a different kingdom from somebody is we have a heart posture of loving them as ourselves. 
unconditional positive regard. That you and I are in a different kingdom. I don't expect you to follow my king, but I invite you to follow my king. I want you to follow my king. So I don't respond to the world with condemnation and judgment. I respond to the world with invitation and love. Now, this heart posture puts you on the suffering end on both sides, right? So suffering is part of it. Now, look what happens. This is the expression of the church. But if you look at the rest of Acts, it's all about suffering and imprisonment and persecution and martyrdom and death and sacrifice and struggles within the church. And, like, it's all there. So Acts 2 talks about this, what I call it the honeymoon phase, like everything's wonderful, and then they start to live out the mission together, and they realize there's way more suffering out there than we realize. There's suffering, but they still have a commitment to one another and a commitment to the kingdom because commitment requires sacrifice. And I would argue that the reason they suffered was because of their commitment. The commitment to those things caused them to reject the world, which caused the world to, which caused suffering in the world, right? To follow a kingdom whose king is not of this earth is to walk around under a different kingdom, constantly being uh, persecuted. And um, that's what makes a church gathering so sweet, is that we are unified under God's kingdom in these moments when we come together. 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13 says, uh, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 10 says, So then, Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You're done with sin. You're you're no longer following sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Verse 7, the end of the world is coming. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. And verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Generally speaking, I don't think that we embrace suffering as much as the Bible does and as much as would be helpful for us. Suffering for the sake of God's kingdom. That passage that says, like, arm your, since Christ suffered, arm yourself. Be ready. When you, going back to the church, when you walk into a church, if your attitude is, I am here to be served, you haven't armed yourself with the mind of Christ. 
When you walk in and you say, I'm here to serve, how can I help? What can I do? You have armed yourself with the mind of Christ. I'm here to be served, looks for things that are wrong and ways you're not being served. I am here to serve. You're looking for broken people who you can help. You're looking for broken systems and you're looking for things that need, need growth. And let me tell you why I keep coming back to this, because uh, we are a great church for you to be broken. We are. We have a heart of healing and helping you become whole. Our investment in our Stephen ministry, we care for people going through crisis, our equipping people to become whole in Jesus. And, and we have our Dig Into the Bible series where we teach you how to study the Bible, like what does it mean to study the Bible? We have our, we, we're, we're going to be uh, well, we still have them, but we're going to be putting these in a more direct format. But we have our friending series that teaches you how to have healthy relationships. And then we have our rhythm series that we're in now that, that teaches us how to live daily as healthy beings in Christ. And these are the types of things that bring healing and hope. Our commitment to marriages and families and in and, and everything from our discipleship to our committed couples to our investment in marriages and relationships uh, we value those things, and these are ways where we can help you be healed and become whole because sometimes the suffering takes a toll, and we need, to, we need our church to, to serve us and bring us healing and, and wholeness. Sometimes we've been hurt by a church. Sometimes we're just scared and anxious, and we need to be served. We're a very good church for that, but I want to be totally honest with you. When we help you heal, we have an agenda. We have an agenda for you to be whole. And I think, I would hope, that you're okay with our existence as a church to be beyond you, right? We need you to be whole so your gifts can be used to advance God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We need you to be whole. So we invest in you. We pray for you. We disciple you, we teach you, we mentor you, we give you a place where you can come together. We give you a structure of life groups, teams, ministries, opportunities to serve in the community together to where you can come together and use your gifts. We help you discover what your gifts are. Some of you have been to church your whole life and you don't even know how you're gifted. What is my role? What do I do? I understand that we want to help you do that, but we have an agenda. I want to be completely open with that. We want you to join the team to help us reach more people to share the love of Jesus with the love of Jesus. We need to work together. So I hope you're okay with us helping you with an agenda <laughs> because we will serve and we will we'll help you become whole and heal those brokenness, those things that stop us from exploring and using our gifts for God's kingdom. Because that's what you were created for. And we were created to do that together. We will bear with you in your suffering. But not to stay in the suffering, but to be healed. To be equipped to trust in God in the midst of the struggles. I'm going to ask Heather to come up to talk about what it looks like to explore this commitment with one another. And I want you to pay attention how these rhythms are building on each other. The first one was silence with God, praying scripture, reflection and confession, worship and scripture, and commitment and community. 
These are these pillars of what it means to, to live daily in the spirit of God's kingdom. So, um, I really like, uh, well, I love the model that Jesus gave us of being committed to a community. He was committed to the larger group of believers, the, the Jewish um, people. He would show up at synagogue and read the scriptures and teach in the courtyard. And then he had his small group of disciples, which for us is like a life group. And in those contexts, he modeled being firmly committed, even in times of suffering. In fact, ultimately, he went through the greatest suffering of um, taking our sins upon his shoulders, talk about bearing one another's burdens, and carried those to the cross. But it didn't end there. He rose from the dead. He conquered that suffering. And um, Paul says that if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. So there is hope. There is good news. Um, being part of the body of Christ, yeah, there is weight to it. But there's also a huge reward. Along the journey, just of being in his company, and then ultimately, eternally, sharing with him in his glory. It's going to be wonderful. When, right before Jesus died, the day before he died, he was gathered up with his closest friends, the disciples, sharing the Passover meal. And... Um, at the start of the meal, he got down on his knees and he washed their feet. And he took on the position of a servant. He took off his outer robe. He wiped, or wrapped around a servant's towel and, and washed their feet one after another. And even though some of them resisted, they did ultimately accept that, um, that gift from Jesus. But he then told them, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. And he charged his disciples to go out and said that others would know they were his followers by how they love one another, which Mike mentioned. So Jesus himself said that. And then Paul um, encourages us to outdo one another in showing honor. So this week, for our rhythm, our spiritual rhythm, what I'd like to do is pray and seek God and ask him to direct our hearts in how we can, within the context of your church community, whether that's in a group or this whole body, how you can either lighten someone's load or share in their sufferings, show them honor, or some act of extravagant love, and then plan a way to carry that out. And, and care and show your commitment to the body of Christ this week in a very practical way. Let's pray and ask God to direct our hearts. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus, even as you have been an example to us, we seek you and your ways. And we want to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, 
you live in us as your followers, and we ask that you would uh, that you would remind us of what Jesus taught, and that you would instruct us in this moment. Please bring to mind some way that we can express honor, commitment, um, sacrifice, sharing the burden, or extravagant love for one another. May you be glorified and honored by our acts of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.